me, everyone? Oh, is this on? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so, main passage tonight will be in Numbers 11. So, if you'd like to turn there. And I'll just give a bit of background on the previous chapters before this one. So, in Numbers 9, we see the children of Israel are in the Sinai Desert. Uh, God gives them the cloud during the day and the fire during the night to lead them and above the tabernacle so they know when to camp, when to journey. And in Numbers 10, we see the children of Israel then leave the Sinai Desert. Okay, Numbers 11 now. The first thing we see, the Israelites begin to complain and it displeases God. They act like they're suffering some huge misfortune. So the first thing we see, Numbers 11, 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it. So God was supplying for all their needs while they were in the desert, but they act as if he wasn't. The Israelites seemed to forget that God had freed them from their bondage and helped them escape from Egypt. And the attitude was displeasing to God and he allowed them to receive punishment for this. So straight after that we see, um, and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. So Moses entreats God, stop the punishment and he does. And then straight away, ironically, they begin to just complain again. So, Numbers 11, verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. So they seem to only remember the the good stuff that they had from Egypt, but seemed to forget the torment and the troubles they had along that as well. And they obviously didn't learn from their lesson previously because they were just complaining a couple of verses ago. And this displeased God again, and Moses as well. So in Numbers 11.10, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in his door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was also displeased. So God then brought judgment upon them again, but at this time, it was through exactly what they were asking for. This was a response to their ungratefulness and their attitude towards God. So then God told Moses to tell the people in Numbers eleven eighteen, And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not... Eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? It's almost a bit like hysterical how God was saying that, until it comes out of your nostrils, saying there's going to be so much of it. And, yeah. So God then brought judgment upon them again, but at this time, oh, sorry, I said that. Yeah, And then after this, the children of Israel still did not get the point of God's warning, so God sends the quail. And here's the main verses of the, what we're looking at tonight. Numbers 11.31 And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp, as it were a day's journey on this side, and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers, 
and they spread them all abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. So finally we see the last two verses, and they have some pretty long names, so I'll try and pronounce them. So if you just draw attention to verse 34. And he called the name of the place Kibroth Hatava, because they, there they buried the people that lusted. And there's the sin there, lust, the people that lusted. So the first point I have tonight is waiting on God's timing. So we see throughout the entire chapter how the Israelites were desiring more from God. We can see how much they wanted it as well. They were reminiscing on the freedom and the good times they had, which wasn't really freedom and good times. So if you look about how they were speaking about Egypt, in verse 4 to 6, it was, if, it was as if God wasn't supplying enough and providing for their desires. It was, if, it was as if God freed them from Egypt to just let them die in the wilderness, which is what they repeated multiple times. They were sick and tired of the manner God was getting like them with, so what did they decide to do? They complained. And note, this is the second time they're complaining, like I said before. They were just punished for complaining previously, and now they're at it again. It's at the point now Moses and God are both displeased with them, and Moses is even going to God and asking him, why is letting this happen to him? Verse 11, wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? In the end, God supplies them with the quail to fulfill their desire, or should I say lust, and God smites them with the plague as punishment. So God wanted them to have the goods and the spoils, but it just wasn't at that right time or at that point in the journey. God had planned for them to have those spoils and all those great things associated with it in the promised land and that God was leading them to. But at that point where they were then, it just wasn't the right time for them to receive those goods and the blessings. So can you turn, please, to 1 Samuel 8? We'll just start reading in verse 10. unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and two to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and he will set them to, to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make him his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries, to be cooks and to be bakers, and he will take your fields and your vineyards and your oliveyards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give them to the officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your sheep and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in the day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we, that we also may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us, and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and rehearsed them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said unto the men of Israel, Go ye every man unto his city. Later on, the Israelites set Saul to be their king. And we can see how similar these two stories are. The people were demanding something from God. God gives it to them. And they reap what they sowed. I'm not saying 
that uh, I'm not saying that wanting to have a king or wanting to have food is a bad thing because they weren't bad. They were desiring good things from God, but just at the wrong time. So God wanted them to have that king, but just not at that time yet. And sometimes it just doesn't make sense to us. We think, oh, I'm not asking for a bad thing. It doesn't feel wrong for me to have this. But we're in our human minds, our corrupt minds. Maybe it isn't a bad thing we desire. It just might be that God has something better in store for us. And just like the Israelites, God wanted them to have those abundant spoils in the promised land, not where they were at that time. And in Isaiah 55, there's a very good verse. I'll just read it quickly. Fifty-five, verse eight. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God doesn't think like us. He's a high being, and he's perfect. And it may not make sense to us, but God has it all worked out. But so, how do we know when the right time is for us? Proverbs three, five to six, very famous verse. Sorry, Antonio, I just have some good verses. So. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. If we trust in God and what he's doing for us, then he will lead us in the path that we should go. Don't trust what we think's right, because that is when we fall away from God and his plan. We need to take a step out of faith and trust God with the plan that he has for us. To think that we know better than the all-knowing and all-powerful God is sin. In verse 6, it says, In all thy ways acknowledge him not some of our ways or part of them, in all of them. And he shall direct our paths. I'll say it again. It may not make sense to us what God's doing, but he always knows better. That's also why when we have a problem or an issue, we should always just go straight to God for the answer, like Moses did most of the time. And this is to avoid making a mistake in our own wisdom when God could have showed us the right way to handle it or deal with it. And God always knows better. Sometimes God does want us to have something that is planned, but it's just part of the journey. Remember to always put God first, and the blessings will come after. And vice versa, if you go against God, then you'll miss out on the blessing. And then again, last example of this. Another example of waiting on God is when the children of Israel passed through Jericho. They were instructed not to take anything. And this is in Joshua 7. But they, um, we know the story. A man named Achan he took of the goods, hid them under his tent. And as punishment, he was, uh, his whole family was stoned to death. All of his possessions were burned along with him. And then later on, Joshua 8, when they conquered the city of Ai and they took the goods, God told them to do that. They partook of the cattle and the spoils of the city. That's in 8.27. So God wanted them to have those spoils, but it was just for later on. Not when they passed through Jericho. So next we see about Second point is about being contempt and grateful. We can see that the Israelites throughout the story were continually asking for more and demanding more from God. Not only that, but they were complaining with the situation they were in as well. They were continually asking God and complaining, why would you take us into the desert just to die? They didn't understand the journey God had in store for them and that he was leading them in a certain direction. And when we look back at the main passage we're looking at, so Numbers 11, 31, 33, we can see how they finally receive what, God, what they were asking from God and are punished by God afterwards. They get their quail and hit with a great plague. God punishes them for the lust for the quail. 
But it, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like, why would God, why would they be asking something from God and then God would just give it to them, knowing it's like sin that they were asking for that? But one of the main problems with the Israelites in this particular story is that they weren't contempt and thankful for what God had supplied for them and given them. So in my Bible, in that verse, I've actually highlighted those verses and written a little note saying, always be grateful for what God has given us. We should always be thankful for the manna that he's given us. When I say manna, I'm not actually referring to like the actual food. I mean, like, I mean that we need to be content and grateful for what God supplies us with, and that's things we don't have to worry over so much. So acknowledging that God has given us and blessed us with these is key to this. So tell me, did you wake up this morning in a nice bed? 400,000 children around the world didn't. Did you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner today? 828 million people didn't have enough food to eat today. Did you take a car to work or to school or to even to church tonight? 6.5 billion people don't have that same blessing as you. Do you have a place to stay, a roof over your head? 150 million people slept on the streets last night. And here we are today, and what do we have to worry about? When we could buy the next iPhone? Is it time to upgrade the car? Maybe a bigger TV will help us see the game better. I'm not saying that you're not allowed to enjoy these things and you're not allowed to have them, but I'm saying that if this is the main thing on your mind, then you have your priorities wrong. Often when we, dis uh, we are discontent in our situation, this is a result of focusing, focusing on what we don't have rather than what we do. God has given us more than we need and we struggle to give more or even the bare minimum where it's most needed. Not just like monetary-wise, but also with our time, serving in church, missions, people in need, wherever it's needed. Think about what God has given us. Being content is not only something that, that we have the ability to practice every day, and we should practice it daily, but it's also something in our hearts that we grow in. So if you turn to Philippians 4.11. So this is Paul writing here, saying, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul's saying here that he's learned to be content, and we need to strive to be like this. Notice the verse again. Sorry. In whatsoever state I am. This means that wherever we should be thankful to God and content. Not only when things are going well and life's going great, but um, when it can be hard and we can endure hard times and trials. This can be hard and seem weird at first. Like, why would God want me to appreciate the struggles I'm enduring? But when Paul wrote this letter at the time, he was in prison. So how could he, in this situation, be content? We know that God is our provider and we look to him for our provision. And we know because it is written in the Bible that God will take care of us no matter what. He's promised that he will provide for us all we need. Not, that, not all we want, but all we need. This is written in the Bible for us to see in Matthew 6, the famous verses about... Supplying for the birds. Um, and I feel it's pretty self-explanatory. If God is going to provide for the birds, he'll provide for you. And he'll provide for all our other needs as well. We don't have a need to worry. God will provide and we need to be content with the manner that God gives us. So I just have a few more verses tonight that I want to show you. I feel like it sums up this point really well. So if you turn to 1 Timothy 6... Verses 6, we'll start in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. 
but, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and in perdition. So verse 6 we see, not only do we need, uh, we need contentness, but we need godliness as well. They go hand in hand. And if we have that, then we have great gain, like it says. And me personally, I'd like to have that. Verse 7, God has given us more than we need and he's blessed us greatly. Uh, There's no need for us to search and try and get earthly things and earthly gains. Because it says in verse 7, it's very, very important. It says, it is certain we carry nothing out. Verse 8, this verse links well to the one in Matthew 6. God will provide for us. He will take care of us. And just as it says here, let us there with let us be there with content. Verse nine. This talks about the the danger of chasing uh, those earthly things that your flesh desire. So read it here. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. So what what happened to the Israelites when they received their quail? What was the sin? So verse four, verse thirty four, Numbers eleven. God sends the plague. And then we see the, the sin they committed. They buried the people that lusted. When we aren't content with God, uh, when we are discontent, we can fall into temptation, snares, and foolishness and lusting. So what can, what can we do to avoid falling into these sins and avoid temptation? Mark 14.38 has the way we can avoid that. It says, Watch ye and pray lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit is truly ready, but the flesh is weak. But then, what do I do if I'm already stuck and I'm tempted in this discontent stage in my life? Um, so 1 Corinthians 10.13 has the answer for us there. This is the last verse, I'm pretty sure. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what ye are able, but, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye are able to bear it. I find this verse like a huge motivation. It tells you that no matter what situation in you're in, God will give you a way out. And we just have to trust God with it. God will provide a way like it says. And to me, that's just an amazing verse. So just in summary here, firstly, we need to wait on God's timing. So it might not make sense to us what God wants us to do, but God always knows better. And his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And it may not be a bad thing that what we're desiring, it just might be that God wants us to have it further on in the journey, and maybe he has something even better planned for us. And just don't rush God with it. Second, we need to be content and grateful for what God gives us. Always be grateful for what God's given you. We need to be thankful for what he has supplied us with. It's not bad to want things, but, to, but do not make this your whole mindset. We have no need to worry when God has promised that he'll supply for all our needs. And there's, there is a danger not being contempt, being discontent. And we need to be careful not to fall into sin. But God's faithful and he's promised that he'll provide a way out of the uh, sinful situation we're stuck in so that we're able to bear it. So that's all I have for tonight. Thank you.